Thank you, Christy. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? We'll be reading out of Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, this great early hymn of the church. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, writes this, Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Lord, bless your word. Multiply it in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We live in the age of, of selfies. I'm just, I'm just curious. Who, who's taking a selfie of themselves this week? Yeah, Josh, I figured it would be you. You know, we, we've all, yeah, there's been a few of you. I, I thought it'd be good. You know, I, let, let's take a selfie together here, okay? You guys, you ready? Oh, wait, it's, it's the screen. I've got to flip it. Everybody smile. Am I smiling? Terry, are you smiling? Okay, you're Terry's always smiling. Say queso. There we go. There we go. Now we got a picture together, okay? You've done a selfie with your pastor. You know, we, we live in the age of the selfie. And uh, so some people even post the picture of their food they, that they eat every... Who posts pictures of their food? I'm just curious. Stop it, Okay. <laughs> You're not that interesting, and your food's not that interesting. Here's the real serious one. Who posts pictures of their dogs? Stop it. We live in a selfie age. And, you know, that, that's selfies aren't sin. <laughs> you know, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with posting pictures of your dogs and your food and your vacations and things like that. That's, that's okay. But I think it speaks to a deeper problem. As people, and not us as a church, but, but as people in this world, we tend to be selfish. We tend to be self-centered. And, and selfishness is the root of all of our problems. Selfishness is the root of all sin. Any sin that you commit, if you committed a sin this week, if you've sinned in some way, the root of it is not the sin, but the selfishness that drives the sin. It's the story of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, it wasn't about the fruit. It was about we want our own way. And thus it began. Sin is driven by our own selfishness, our own desire to have things our way. It doesn't matter what anyone else says. It doesn't matter what God says. It doesn't matter what God's word says. Sin is about having my own way. It's not a new problem. It's an old problem. In the book of Isaiah, and I'm going to read this from the message this morning. I like how Eugene Peterson writes it. Isaiah 53, 6 says, We're all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way. <laughs> that is the definition of sin. Doing things my way in my time. It, it, who sang my way? <laughs> Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. <laughs> you can like the song, and it's not sin to like the song, okay? But, 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 but the ideal 
behind the song, that the, the driving force of the song, that, that I've got to have things my way. Sin is not about breaking rules. It's about living for our own way instead of God's way. It's about living for pleasing myself instead of living to please God. It is living towards self. Martin Luther wrote, sin is humanity curved in upon itself. <laughs> in other words, sin is this self-directed force in my life where, where I'm motivated by just following my own way, this selfish slant of wanting more and of wanting more for ourselves. But, but I want you to know this morning, you were created for more than just self. You were created for more than just this selfish bent. Now, last fall, we introduced, I believe it was in October, our, our new vision statement, Ordinary People Following Jesus. And we, we preached a sermon series from that. And we used Ecclesiastes 3.11. And Solomon says, God has placed eternity in everyone's heart. And, and in other words, every person has within them this eternal need. And, and when we live for ourselves, and when we live for selfishness, we are trying to fill this eternal need with selfish desire. So we, we try to fill it with money and we try to fill it with relationships and we try to, to fill it with education and we try to fill it with power and pla- pleasure and status. We use all these things to try to fill this eternal need within us and yet oftentimes, all the time, if, if you're not filling yourself with God, you find yourself more empty than when you began. Less satisfied. And the problem is we're trying to fill this eternal need that is inherent in every person in this room. We're trying to fill this eternal need with temporary things and you'll never be satisfied. Only the eternal can fill an eternal need. Only God can fill that emptiness, that hole that is within each person in this room. And and I don't know where you are. You know, maybe spiritually you've you've never accepted God. You've never accepted Christ as your Savior. You've never enjoyed a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I think if you were honest and, and that's the case, you would say there's something that's still, there's an urge, there's a hunger still within you. Can I tell you this morning, God satisfies. God is enough. Do do I have everything in life that I want? No, there's probably more I'd like to do and achieve. And, you know, I'd like to have that Mercedes Benz. No, not really. I like my 2001 truck. God satisfies. God truly fills that eternal need each of us have within ourselves. But the problem is, many people are living for themselves only. Uh, It's just what they want. And and the driving force, the driving desire in their life is this selfish desire. And when we're living for ourselves, at the end of ourselves, we are simply left with ourselves. And I think all of us know that's not enough. 
That, that if my entire life has been driven towards living for myself and my own desires and what I want, when I get to the end of my life, it is not going to be enough. We have a deeper need. We have something that should drive us that's bigger than ourselves. We need our desires. We need our attitude. We need our motivations reshaped. We need our desires to be shaped in a way that is consistent with how God wants our desires to be shaped. Now, my life verse is Romans 12, 1 through 2. And I told Wednesday night, we crowd, we talked about it a little bit. I said, I think you guys need to start putting a check mark in your Bible every time I refer to Romans 12, 1 and 2. It is my life verse. It has been the most important Bible verse in my life since October of 1998. And that's coming on 17 years. <laughs> Man, that doesn't seem possible. 17 years ago, God called me into the ministry. It seems only like yesterday. I know to you guys it seemed like 17 years since I've been here, but... To me, it just seems like yesterday. And Paul talks about this need to have our minds reshaped in Romans 12, 1 and 2. He talks about it in Philippians, that that we have this need to have our mind to be adjusted, to have our desires, our attitudes shaped, to be like Jesus Christ. Paul understands that, that, that what we desire, what we think, you know, the things that motivate us needs to be reshaped, that, that we need to desire the right things. And, and I think there's some truth that, that what we do can shape how we think, but what we think can shape what we do. I mean, it works both ways. And Paul's saying in Philippians, and we, you know, I'm not going to go in depth in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. That's a series of itself, all, all the intricacies in that passage. It's amazing. But, but the focus of it is we need the mind of Christ. We need to have the attitude of Jesus Christ. We need to desire the things that Jesus Christ desired. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says it like this. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship or reasonable service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, Paul's saying there's a world that is shaping and conforming you and pressing you into its mold, and God wants you to give him everything so that he can transform your mind. I believe the only other place in Scripture this word transform is used is in reference to the transfiguration of Jesus. In other words, God wants to do something supernatural and change the way you think and what you desire. And that doesn't come through self-discipline, but it comes by giving ourselves completely to God and allowing Him to do the work within us. It wants to transform your mind so that you may live this good, acceptable, perfect will of God. We need to change our attitudes, renew our minds, transform our desires. The last two weeks, or last week, we began answering the question, what is the work of the Spirit? And we we talked about the the spiritual fruits, and we talked about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. And we we, we talked about how all those fruit 
the, the, the fruit that Paul talks about is naturally growing when we live in submission and relationship with the Holy Spirit. It, it's not something forced. And, and, and we also talked about how all those fruit lead to a deeper relationship with God and a deeper love for other people. See, he's not just giving us fruit so, so that we can be all good and high-minded on our own, but he's given us fruit so that we can love him more fully and love other people more fully. Love's the point. And so we, we talked about how the spirit, relationship with the spirit is important, and, and this morning we're going to see relationship with the spirit transforms our attitude. That as we live in relationship with the Holy Spirit, He can change our desires, He can change what we think, He can change our attitude, He can change what we want. We, we can begin to have an attitude that is shaped like Christ, desires that is shaped like Christ, a will that is shaped like Jesus Christ. You know, and, and isn't that the point? You know, we're ordinary people following Jesus. Isn't the point of it that we want to live like Jesus Christ? Isn't that what disciples do? We don't mimic him, but we allow the spirit to live within us so that we can begin to think and have the attitude and desires like Jesus Christ so that we can move like Jesus moved in this world. So what did Jesus desire? You know, I, I think I'd put it like this. Jesus' one desire was to please God. You know why Jesus died on the cross? Because it was the will of the Father that he die. You know, Jesus loved, but, but when it came to the cross, it was all obedience to the will of the Father. I have come to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus was consumed with the idea, a desire to please the Father. Now, now, Jesus had a pretty simple ideal of pleasing the Father. At, at times, it can become overwhelming. Uh, in, in fact, at the time of Jesus, the Jews had rule after rule after rule after rule after rule that people had to follow to please God. I mean, they, they, they had thick books that described the details of pleasing God. But, but Jesus simplified it. In Matthew 22, 36 to 39, he says that he was asked, what, what's the great commandment? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then I believe he says, all the commands fall on these two simple commands. In other words, Jesus says, love God. Love others. I believe it was Augustine that, that said it simply like this, love God and do what you want. <laughs> that, that somehow, if we could really just learn how to love God, like God deserves to be loved, all these other things just kind of flow and roll together. Love God. Love others. When you think of Jesus, that was his attitude. I'm going to love God and I'm going to love others. So Jesus loved God. And, and I thought about this. What, what happens when, with, with, with love? We, we share what we love, right? <laughs> Unless it's candy, then we don't share it at all. But, but, but don't you like to, when, when your kids, when your grandkids, when something good happens in their life, don't you share that with other people? And, you know, you, you share the things you love. 
You know, when, when the Buckeyes won the national championships, how many high fives did you give, right? Jesus shared God. He loved God. God was a priority. Now, that, that sounds simplistic even as I say it, but I think it's true. Jesus shared God because he loved God. Revelation 3.14 says Jesus was the chief witness, the chief martyr. And then you get to, to, to Acts 1.8 and Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit becomes, comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In, in other words, the, the, the Holy Spirit will allow us to share this God. Jesus loved God, and he honored God, and he valued God, and he saw God as a priority, and and he showed God in all that he did. It's all that mattered. The Apostle Paul had a similar attitude. Paul, Paul said, for me to live is Christ. You know, if I die, it's gain because I got to be with this Jesus. I got to be with God. I got to be with this this Jesus that I love. And for me to die is gain, but for me to live, it's Christ. My my whole life is a billboard, is an advertisement, is a praise song towards God. That's all that matters. Let me ask you: Are you sharing Christ? When was the last time that, that you shared the gospel, that you planted the gospel, that, that you shared what God has done for you with someone else? Second thing I want you to see is love motivates obedience. You know, obedience can be motivated by a lot of factors. Uh, they're, they're, you know, fear can motivate obedience, Right? But I believe there's a strong connection between love and obedience. In fact, the, the scripture talks about love motivating obedience. And at some point in the scripture, it says, I believe it's in 1 John, it says, perfect love casts out fear. So as believers, we, we never lose the respect, the awe of God. But as we grow closer to God and understand how much he loves us, and, and we begin to love him more and more, our motivation for obedience stops being because we're afraid God's going to pound us on our head, but we begin to obey God just simply because we love him. You know, th- think of the word faithfulness. Well, why are you faithful to your spouse? Are you afraid that they're going to beat you senseless? Don't say amen if that's true, okay? You know, I, I'm seeing all this stuff with this Ashley Madison, and, and I, I saw somewhere that they're afraid that even pastors are going to show up on that list. I'll tell you one pastor that's not going to show up on that list. I'm not going to show up on that list. Amen. Not because I'm afraid of Terry, because I love Terry. You know, it's faithful. We're faithful to God. We're faithful to our friends. We're faithful to our spouse. But we're faithful to God because we love him. And Jesus loved the heavenly father. And so he was obedient to his will. And he was willing to say, not my will, but your will, because I love you, God. In the garden, he's wrestling in the garden. And it's love that motivates his obedience, not fear. You know, there's also this connection between obedience and loving others. Well, we can love others because our Heavenly Father loves others. And Jesus loved others. You know, Jesus was welcoming to others 
particularly outsiders. You know, people that weren't the normal religious folks. People that, that maybe weren't good society people. Pe- people with checkered past. You know, people like tax collectors and, and prostitutes and, and, and you know, people that just didn't fit the mold. Jesus just welcomed them all in. You know, to, to have the mind of Christ, we are welcoming even to the people who don't exactly fit our mold. (laughs) Jesus was self-giving towards others, even those who rejected him. This is a hard one. Amen? Let's be honest. Uh, You know, I have a few people that just don't like me. I know it's amazing. It's shocking. My mom's shocked about it. <laughs> you know, in, in your life, you, you don't go through life living without having people that get mad at you. No matter what you do, you can't make things right. Amen, Nelson? <laughs> you know, I have people that, that, that are just flat mad at me, and I don't even know why. And they won't tell me why. I love them anyhow. You know why? Because Jesus loved people even when they were nailing him to the cross. I I, want to preach on forgiveness at some point. You know, you do not have to be asked for forgiveness to give it. Right? You understand that? Forgiveness is not a transaction between you and the other person. It's something between you and God. Forgiveness is giving up your right to vengeance and saying, God... It's yours. Now, to be reconciled, the other person has to be a, a, a party that wants to participate. But to forgive, and as a matter of fact, it's possible you may just need to let go of something, not because of your relationship with the other person, but for your relationship with God. That this thing that you're holding on to is not a grudge you're holding with the other person. It's a thing you're holding against God. Jesus was moved with compassion towards others. Scripture, all all the time, Jesus is walking, he sees the crowd, and and it will say things like, and Jesus was moved with compassion. And the word that they use is this word that is just gut-wrenching. You ever had a a gut-wrenching feeling for somebody? You see them, and you see something they're going through, and it just, oh, that's how Jesus was. When he saw lost people, he didn't say, look at those dirty, rotten sinners. Jesus said, look at those poor, lost souls. Bob Pierce, who began World Vision, says, let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. The things that break God's heart, does it break your heart? Why does it matter? Authenticity. Real life, genuine life, eternal life, a real life. What matters is found through relationship with the Holy Spirit. To to have the mind of Christ is to live for something more than oneself. Even Jesus modeled this ideal, this Jesus was perfect, right? 
right? We believe that. He was God-man, and Jesus modeled this ideal that he was going to live for something bigger than himself. C.S. Lewis said this, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. (laughs) There is no such thing. When we're trying to fill ourselves with ourselves, we always end up empty. So how are you doing? Are you, are you loving God? Or are you sharing God? Or are you living to do God's will? Are you living in such a way where it's not my will, but it's your will, God? Are you loving others? Are you moved for compassion for other people? When was the last time God woke you up in the middle of the night and you prayed for somebody? When was the last time you saw someone with a spiritual need and you just went up and you put your hand on their back and you said, you know, I want you to know I love you and I'm praying for you. Is there anything I could do? When was the last time God broke your heart for a material need for someone else? I can pick on Terry. Terry's not here today, and uh, I'm not going to pick on her. I'm going to say something good about her. I guess I should say things good about her when she's here. Amen, ladies. <laughs> Dylan got sick last week at Trevecca's first week, and so he came home. So she's in Cincinnati kind of tending him and seeing what he's doing. But uh, uh, a couple weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, we were out eating on a, a Sunday night. We, I, we'd been to a, an ordination service for... Um, the Wesleyan Church, and one of my former associates was being ordained, so I went up to, to watch him be ordained. Then we were in Marion, and we were eating at, at Perkins or something, and somebody um, skipped out on the waitress. You know, in you know, my discernment, I said, oh, man, that's too bad. Let's go. And I walk out, and we're sitting in the car. <laughs> and my sweet wife said, man, I just feel bad for her. I'm going to go in and pay that bill. <laughs> and so Terry goes in and, you know, I said, well, okay, <laughs> go, go ahead and go. You know, and then made me feel like a, you know, like a. <laughs> she goes in and paid the bill and then left a tip. And, you know, the waitress, of course, is crying that somebody would do that. And um, I, I think people that have the mind of Jesus Christ see things like that and just move to him. Stand with me, if you will. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. Who, who would say, Pastor, I, I really need a fresh touch from God today. Would you, would you just lift a hand? You know, there's hands all over. You can put them down. Uh, Vicki, can you come and just play real quietly? Our altars are available. Uh, this is a good time to come and pray. And uh, Vicki's going to play just for a few moments. I invite you to come quickly. Uh, if you want somebody to pray with you, grab somebody's hand and have them come down with you. And uh, come quickly, and then I'm going to lead us in a closing prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we, um, we give you praise for your patience with us. 
Lord, I'm going to confess that there's times that uh, not because I want to willfully disobey you, but sometimes I'm just dumb. And I miss your move because I'm not attentive or I'm too busy or I'm distracted. Help me, Lord, to be more in tune with you. To have a mind like Jesus Christ that loves you with every fiber of his being and seeks to serve you and to please you and a mind that sees other people like you see them. Lord, I'm praying that you're going to give this church a fresh urgency for lost men and women. Lord, Lord, may we be consumed, may we be concerned. Lord, may we weep each time we come into this place and we've not reached anyone for Christ this week. May it not be acceptable to us. May it not be acceptable because it's not acceptable to you. Give us a burning desire, Lord, to seek and to save that which is lost. Lord, we love you. And we're thankful that you're not finished with Marysville Church of the Nazarene. You're not finished with this pastor. You're not finished with any member of this this congregation, anyone sitting in this congregation today. But Lord, you have a plan and a will. And the will is that we just give everything to you. That we would become living sacrifices and allow your spirit to move within us in a fresh way. To change the way we think. To change our desires. To shape us in a way that brings glory to you. Now, Lord, I love you, and I thank you for this time. I thank you for this, these group of people. They're great people. I'm privileged to pastor a congregation of people like these people. They love each other, and they love you. And, Lord, I believe that they want to grow closer to you, and, and they want to serve their community. So, Lord, just give us guidance. Give us peace. Give us a vision. And Lord, as we follow your vision in your way and your will, Lord, may you bless it and multiply it. Now, Lord, be with us in our Sunday school classes. Be with us in the second service. And Lord, as we go our separate ways on this Labor Day weekend, I pray that you'll protect us. Those who are traveling, give them traveling mercies. Those who are sick, I pray that you'll touch them right where they are. And Lord, we'll forever give you praise because you're worthy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless, folks. No activities at the church tonight. Enjoy your Labor Day weekend.